poverty is a curse and why that's important to your family and why that's important to this ministry and why that's important to this community for you to begin to break out of the place of not enough and the place of just enough into the place of provision that God has called you to. Amen. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. You are a good God. We thank you that this is a great December and you are a great God. It is our expectation that we will see breakthrough all throughout this month, God. And we honor you and we praise you and we expect to be transformed by the word. Amen. Remember I told you when we kind of first started this January, this journey in September, I told you, I said, if you want to be successful, you got to love the word, got to love worship, and you got to love obedience. Amen. And those of you who are obeying, you're seeing some things transform in your life. Amen. And what you're finding is that as you obey, it gets easier to obey. Amen. It's hard to obey if you don't. I mean, you never. It's just like push-ups. You will never do 100 push-ups until you start doing one. You just not. You just not going to pump out and be like, yeah, today, 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 I'm going to do 100. You not. You not. You may do three. You may do 15 and not be to lift your arms tomorrow. But if you want to do 100 push-ups, you got to start with the one. you got to start with where you are. And that's what it is with obedience. You have to start by doing the little things that God is telling you to do. You have to start with not being okay with being disobedient to the God in your life. And so I'm going to talk to you about wealth. And the reason that I'm talking about wealth is because I believe wealth is a kingdom mandate. I believe it's the will of God for you to prosper. And I believe it not because I made it up, but I believe it because it's what the word says. Third John and two, it says, beloved above all things, I wish that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Now, we've talked about this, that your soul is what? What's in your soul? Mind, will, intellect, and imagination. And basically what it means is that you will never live beyond the condition of your soul. And I gave you guys this instruction last week, and I said, if you want to know how much wealth your soul can hold, all you got to do is look at the daily average balance in your account because your subconscious is always designed to get you back to the place that your thermostat is, is set. Think about it like this. If you set your thermostat on 70 at your house, right, the job of the heater or the air condition is to work to maintain that condition, right? So if your soul is set at not enough, then the temperature, the thermostat, the heater in your soul is designed to keep you at not enough. If you're set at just enough, then it's designed to keep you at just enough. And so if you're going to grow in your soul and be able to handle more money in your bank account, you have to shift your thinking. And for believers, the best tool to shift our thinking is what did God say? So you have to eradicate the lies, and not just the lies, but the strongholds that lies leave behind. Because, not, because the truth of it is this. So people say this all the time because they haven't been enlightened, and they say money is the root of all evil. But anybody who's read the Bible knows that that's not what the Bible says. The Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. It says that love, the love of money is the root of all evil. The reality of it is, is that God is not crazy. He knows that you need money to live in this earth. He knows that you cannot take care of your family, that you cannot help your community, that you cannot build your church if you don't have money, right? So if you were the devil, wouldn't it make sense to make the people of God believe that there's something wrong with them having money? So then every time we need something, you got to go ask somebody else to do it? 
maybe Walmart will give us some backpacks. But if there was wealth in the house, you don't need Walmart to give you backpacks. Maybe they'll give us some food, some pizza to be able to feed the kids for the festival. Well, if you had money, you wouldn't need somebody else to give you something. And understand this, there, there is a strategic principle around it as well. Have you ever noticed this? Have you ever noticed if you pay any attention, any attention to what goes on with celebrities that people always give rich people stuff for free? Today, I go to a restaurant, Michael Jordan go to a restaurant. He could pay for everybody food in the restaurant. They go comp his meal. They go charge me. So understand there is something about increasing your life that positions you for people to partner with you to get kingdom work done. Because there are some things people won't give you when you're broke. But there are some things they'll give you when you have resources. There are some conversations people aren't willing to have with you as long as they think you're coming to take something. But when you have something to add, they will discuss with you. It's just like this. If my kids come to me and they say, how much money you got? Mm-mm, mm-mm, nope. Not me and you. We don't get to have this conversation. We not equals about how much money I have. You understand? But now, because I can't go into business with my kids, I can front them some money, but they don't really have anything to bring to it, Right? And so what I'm trying to get you to understand is that God is trying to bring wealth into our hands because, number one, God hates poverty. God is abundant. Say God is abundant. And God does not care how much money you have as long as money don't have you. And the truth of it is, let me be honest with you, some of you broken money got you. So it's not the amount of money that you have because even what you have, it's Lord over you. It's the reason that you don't obey God and the things that he's telling you to do in your finances. And so it's not the amount of money, it is the condition of your heart towards money. And so one of the things that you're going to see as we go through these scriptures is that God will give you increase and give you an opportunity to see what's in your heart. Yeah, Selah. Because sometimes it'll be like, so we're believing God for a church building, right? Well, I'm believing God. Who, anybody else in here believing? Do you know as cute as we are, they're not going to give us a church because we're cute? And we get some cute, look around the room, it's some cute people in here. Nobody's going to give us a piece of land because we're cute. It takes either influence, favor, or money to go get it. And so I'm, I, I just want to walk you through some scriptures. I want you to get some settlement on who you are so God can begin to break things in your life. Listen, in 2016, we want to totally move out of, Pastor Edwin said it when he was talking today, we want to move out of you having lulls and low spots and having to wait to next Friday when you get paid. Come on, let's try that again. We want, we want to break out of this place where you got to wait till next Friday to get paid. You, you want to break out of this place where you're aggravated when an unexpected expense comes up because you don't have a clue how you're going to pay for it. That is not the life we are called to. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything belongs to the Lord. Why are we so content with wicked people having everything? Why are you so content with wicked people having everything? So let's lay out some foundation. We're going to use some word foundation and we're going to do some thinking foundation because we can't go beyond our thinking, right? So here are a couple things I want to, top, um, I want to um, throw down for you. 
you want to begin to work on this. Number one, wealth is not a pie. Wealth is not a pie. You must eradicate that thinking. Because if wealth is a pie, then that means if Chris gets a piece, that's less for me. And so you got to pay attention to the ways that you think that will may either make you selfish or competitive or a victim. Wealth is not a pie. In the kingdom and in the world, both naturally and spiritually, we can all have our own pie. In fact, God has given each one of us gifts, talents, abilities, passions, and, and um, insight to create our own pie. And so part of the challenge that's wrong with our thinking is that when we don't have enough, we blame someone else. They took too many taxes. Make more money. Start a business. Because they take less taxes from you when you own your own business. Get a bet. My, they won't give me a raise. Get another job. The problem is, is that if you think that someone else has all the power over your financial success, you will only be successful to the degree that someone else decides to bless you. All right, so I'm going to tell you a little bit. All right, so because I want to lay out for you kind of how I got to this place. So when I was growing up, I always want, I wanted to be rich because I never understood why anybody would want to be poor. I mean, I just, I mean, I, I don't have a friend ever as a little kid. If you ask all them little kids in children's church, who want to be rich or who want to be poor? You don't have one kid back there talking about, yeah, we want to be poor. Yeah, that, yeah that, that's, we want to be poor. Because God is an abundant God. I, I, I'm, I'm going to deal with your thinking, and I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Some of you go going to get mad, and then here's what I'm going to tell you how the devil going to start playing with you. All she think about is money. All she talk about money. You've been coming here all this time, and all we ain't think about is your money. Don't be deceived. You know who all Walmart think about is your money. Church the only place, church the only place in the world you can come perpetually into infinity and never give a dime. Never give a dime. If you don't ever give a dime, they just we just keep letting you come. You just keep on coming. You keep getting the air. You keep getting the, like, there's no screen over here that says, all right, everybody who's a giver, stand on this side so you can see the words, and then we're going to pull the thing down so the people over here who don't give can't see it. Church is the only place that you can come for free all the time. I can go to the park for free. No, you can't. Somebody paid taxes to build that park. It is the only place you can go for free. So don't be deceived. I am not trying to get something from you. I'm trying to get something to you. So let me tell you a little bit of my journey. So I grew up, I always wanted to be um, wealthy. It just made sense to me to be wealthy. I would see people in our church who needed stuff. It just made sense to me that if somebody had money, we could just fix it. It didn't make sense to me that we would be having meetings about whether, like, I'm just going to tell you my story, okay? So we would go to Magic Springs as a kid. This is why I hate Magic Springs right now. I hate Magic Springs. We would go to Magic Springs, and before we go, we got to have a weenie roll outside to raise money for 25 cents for a hot dog that we bought to sell in order to be able to go to, to Magic Springs. Then we have to ride on a hot bus 
And then we have to have all our food in cooler. So everybody else would even in there and they would be getting a turkey leg and a candy apple. We'd be like, can't have turkey leg. You know you ain't had no turkey leg, your food on the bus. And then we got to go out there and have a ham sandwich being cold in the thing. Don't I, I hate Mag Springs to this day. People be like, can we go to Mag Springs? No. When I take my kids to Universal Studios, I budget in money for turkey legs. Who want a turkey leg? Who want a turkey leg? Ain't nothing worse than being in an amusement park and you can't get none of the stuff. You can't play a game. You can't get a turkey leg. You can't get a soda. Mama got you with a water bottle filling it up outside the bathroom. The devil is a lie. That's just poverty. So I hate Magic Springs to this day. And if we ever go, we go blow it out for the kids. I'm serious because that stuff shapes you. You know, and I can remember as a kid, you know, good people who love the Lord. You know, and they need money to pay their light bill. And we got to take up a collection for their light bill. That don't make sense because one person don't have the ability to just take care of it. That doesn't make sense to me. So then let me keep going on. So then when I was about, in the, when I was 12... I went to um, Texas, and my uncle told me we was, we was going to go to Six Flags. Did he drive us by Six Flags? He said, I'm not lying to y'all. We were so excited. We was like, we're going to Six Flags. And he lived on the other side of Dallas, so we, like, drove an hour. And then he drove us by. He said, there's Six Flags over there. And he said, I wish I had the money to take you in. You remember that? Punk, you remember that when we drove by Six Flags? We were so sad. <laughs> we thought we was going in Six Flags. We didn't get to go. So now I went to Magic Springs. I got to eat warm ham sandwiches. And now I roll by Six Flags. That's why, I, I mean, really, it, it, in a lot of ways it's funny, but it shaped the reason that for years the reason I hated amusement parks, and I didn't understand that that's the reason I hated them. Because, because they exposed the poverty. Because if we went, we either couldn't have what everybody else had, or we just had to drive by. But we church people, and we love Jesus, and we go to church every week, and we faithful to the Lord, but we can't afford a turkey leg? I mean, all the turkeys came from God, and we can't get a turkey leg? And so then what you begin to find out is that enclosed in church, there is a lot of teaching that is against the word of God that's about shortage, and it's about it's not enough and all of that stuff. And then I told you last week that however you deal with money is based on how you saw money go in and out of your life unless you've done some intentional work to change how you see money go in and out your life. So if you had parents, and some of you know this is true, that on when they got paid on Friday, baby, you could live it up good, baby. You was going to get you some pizza and some ice cream on Friday. You might get you a movie or something something too right but the Thursday before payday if you ask for something your parents will cuss you out they don't even cuss do you think money don't you at you listen things like this you go into the store what's the lesson before you go into the store do you see the entrenchment of poverty right there we didn't grow up together, but we got the same message. Don't you ask for nothing. 
Don't you touch nothing and don't you look at nothing. Because you look at it, you go want it. Do you see those things that begin to shape? And so then it can create a person who will create bad financial decisions for their life in order to be able to do something for better for their kids. Or people who come up, grow up and become just like their parents. And so we really want to have right thinking about money because money is just a tool. Can your neighbor say money is just a tool? There's a scripture in Ecclesiastes that said money answers everything. Now, money don't determine whether you go to heaven, but it determines everything else about your life. And so here's the thing. You got to start tearing this stuff down because people go, it's not just about the money. It is just about the money. It is just about the money. No, it's like your spirit ain't just about the money. But this life out here, where you go eat when you leave here is about the money. When you go on date night with your spouse, whether you go to Wendy's, Chili's, or Ruth Chris is all about your money. Do, uh, let me help you because I just want to stretch you. You'll realize that people go to Ruth Chris, everybody, it ain't, Ruth Chris ain't a special occasion for everybody. It's not a special occasion for everybody. It, it, I know people who go to Ruth Chris every week. I'm like, you go every week? Am I saying you got to want to go to Ruth Chris? Nope. I'm saying that there is enough resources that God has provided that whatever is in your heart to do for your family and for the advancement of the kingdom, you ought to be able to do it. And when you think that God just supplies need, most of the time when people think need, they think bare minimum, right? Like if I ask you, here's the reality. If someone asks you for money, if they ask you for $20, most of us don't say, tell me how much you really need. If we go get you twenty dollars, we like let me get this twenty dollars before you say you need a hundred, right? That's a, right. <laughs> and so most of us deal with a mindset of need when we come to God, like that God supplies at the bare minimum. But Ephesians three twenty says that He does exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. So if you ask God for twenty and only twenty showed up, you left the rest of your money somewhere. Mm-hmm. All right, so anyway, so I went through this thing. I wanted to be sex- successful. And for me, as a long time, there always seemed to be this conflict between really living for the Lord and having resources. Because the people I knew who really seemed like they lived for the Lord, they ain't have it a lot. And the people who I knew who had a lot of money, they looked like they were going to hell. I mean, even the ones who went to church, I'm like, I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> right. So for a long, long time, I lived in this place where I'm like trying to have enough but not too much. I want to have enough, but not too much. Well, here's the other thing, too, because when you have enough, because some, particularly in some of your families, and you got to deal with your own poverty issues in your family, right? If I got too much, then they ask me for something all the time. If I got too much, so I can't look like I got too much. And I'm telling you, that's a very prevailing spirit in Northwest Arkansas, because I hear people all the time, they be like, well, I got a Mercedes, but I don't drive my Mercedes to work. That ain't that ignorant. That just sounds dumb. Because somebody programmed to you that you need to look broke. You need to look like you need this job. But if you had streams of income, even if they let you go, you'd be all right. But you ain't got no streams. That's why you're stressed. You, you weren't created to live with just one stream of income. Even in the garden, they had rivers 
more than one. It wasn't nobody but Adam and Eve. But they had more than one. You're not called to just live with one string. So anyway, fast forward. So for a long, so I went to law school, and I always had these great plans that I was going to be a lawyer. I was going to make a whole lot of money. And then when I was in law school, I hated law school. Uh, it was like <laughs> I hated law school. I was like, I cannot work with these people every day for the rest of my life. And I hated things. Like, I liked the law, but I didn't like the process of the law. I would be like, so you mean every time we turn this thing in, we got to use the same font, the same margins? Every time, where's the creativity? Because part of my brain is really creative. So anyway, by the time I finished law school, I knew I wasn't going to practice law. But we had career counselors at that time that if you didn't want to practice law, you didn't have any value. They would be like, we don't know what to do with you. Because why wouldn't you want to practice law? So I spent like several years just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And, Lord, I have tried everything, okay? I have, tr I, like, I have tried everything. And I thank God for a husband who just, like, tried. <laughs> tried. <laughs> like, I mean, I would get jobs. I would have everybody believe in God with me to get a job. I would get a job. I worked there two days. I'd be like, can y'all believe God for me to be able to quit? Because <laughs> I hate this job. <laughs> like, and so I just went through this process of trying to figure it out. And a lot of the reason I went through this process is because early on, number one, I didn't have correct teaching about money. And because I'm an entrepreneur, I didn't have anybody to cultivate the part in me that was an entrepreneur. So anyway, long story short, we were doing pretty good because Pastor Elwin has always made a lot of money because he got like these conversations like, he like, I don't go to work for less than he always been like that. I don't like, I was, when, and so like when he used to say that, they used to freak me out. I'm like, what you mean you don't go? He like, I don't go to work. I don't get up for less than. I had never met anybody like him because people I knew, they went to work for whatever somebody would offer you. And I had never met anybody who would change jobs so quick. Like, dude, I'm telling you, like I stopped learning the places that he worked. Because I just, he would get a job and be looking for another job. He'd be like, yeah, they're going to pay me 25% more. I'm not going to have to work as hard. I'm not going to have to travel as much. Like, I just, it used to freak me out. Because I, because I grew up, like, you get a job, and you work there, and you stay there, right? And then the recession happened. And then the recession happened, I saw people who had been really faithful to jobs, those jobs not be faithful to them. And I saw people lose the value in their home which is big for middle class because for middle class, most of our wealth comes from the purchase of our home. And I saw people who were educated with master's degrees and doctorate degrees who couldn't get a job, who would try to get a job. I knew, I knew people who, I know people who put in hundreds of applications. And people would be saying, there are jobs out there. There may be, but they're not hiring these people because they're saying things like you're overqualified and all of that stuff. I watched the people in my neighborhood. I watched them lose their homes. and just It just didn't make sense to me, and it began to really vex me, and it just seemed so out of character with God. I'm going somewhere, right? But I'm going to tell you how this ignites because sometimes you need something that ignites you. So Pastor Elm was working at a company in Cleveland. I don't even remember the name. I just know he had to go to Cleveland all the time, right? And when he, used, when he first started going to Cleveland, they would let him come home every weekend. Did you notice I say let? Because whoever's the boss of you, they let you do stuff. I want you to be clear about that. Whoever's your boss, they let you do stuff. So when he first started going, they let him come home every week. And then after he had been working there like three or four months, they was like, well, we're not going to let y'all come home every week. Y'all can only come home every other week. Well, that wasn't a really big deal for us because he had a lot of miles and stuff from all the travel he had done. And we was just like, cool, we'll get our own flight. But then this guy says, he says, he calls a meeting to the guys who travel and he says to them, 
he says, from now on, I won't pay for you to go home. And he says, and before your wives get upset, tell them they should be happy you got a job. Everything in me, and he messed around and told me that too, baby. Everything in me that was gangster was like, all right. And I made a decision then that I don't care what kind of job he had, I was going to be able to create income. So that if he ever decided that he didn't want to take that anymore, he could be like, I'm going home. And in the beginning, so literally, I'm trying to walk you through the process, right? So I'm trying to shift my mind and my money at the same time. My, so I'm quoting scripture, and I'm, I'm trying things. And this is what I want to say, because some of you have an entrepreneurial bit on your hand, but you won't try something because you don't know exactly what you should try. I tried everything. Because here's the thing, just because you don't know which one going to prosper, but you know what's not going to prosper? The nothing you do. The nothing you do is not going to prosper. And so just over time, God began to break some things in my life, which got me to this point that I'm in now. When I first started making money, I really was just kind of making money, like just as a background. So I'm, I'm a slight bit of a hustler because I grew up from a hustling family, right? So I just wanted to make money to see what I could do. You know what I'm saying? Could I do this? Could I, you know, if I had this necklace and I bought this necklace for 10, could I sell it to you for 20? I just wanted to see. But here's what began to happen is that I began to realize that if you look all over the world, people spend money for everything. And I began to realize that whether I sold bottles of water or necklaces or T-shirts or watches, that whatever I sold, somebody was going to buy it. And it began to shift what I had the power to do. So anyway, I said, what am I walking you through? I'm walking you through my process of shifting my mind because I want you to understand that if you've always grown up in poverty, if you've always grown up in lack, if you've always grown up in a mentality that all you can make is what your boss gives to you or whatever the case may be, you're not going to jump out of that space automatically. You're going to first have to identify where your space is. That's why I tell you those stories. So you'll go, oh, yeah, my family was just like that. We had to have ham sandwiches too. And then you go, I don't want that, right? So you're identifying the places that poverty and lack and how they've shaped you. And then you begin to ask God to dismantle those things in your mind. Does that make sense? All right. So let's look at Genesis 1 and 26. And then we'll go look at Genesis 11 and 31. Say, I am shifting, I am shifting. in my mind. So at first, I just was a hustler. I just wanted to see how much money I could make. And then I, then I wanted to just make money, like, when it was convenient for me. So, like, for example, like, in November, I'd make enough money to buy everything I wanted to buy for Christmas because I didn't want anyone to tell me that we couldn't afford to buy some. So I had the kids give me their list. I find out how much it costs. I'd make money for that. I'd make money for a vacation. And then the rest of the time, I wouldn't do anything. I'd just be chilling. I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be like that when I do. And then one of my friends, she said, wait a minute. She said, do you mean? What she said, she was like, so I was telling her about like how I would make money for vacation, I would make money for this. And she was like, so you can just make money whenever you want to? And I was like, yeah. And then she was like, do it every month for a year. And then they gave me a challenge. And then I wanted to see what I could make every month for a year. So one of the challenges that I'm going to give you guys today that's going to be a stretch for you because the reality of it is that the more intelligent you are, the harder it, the more educated you are, the more you have been processed to wait on someone to give you everything you need. Here's my challenge for you. I want you to take $20. I want you to see how much money you can make with $20. 
I'm thinking. I give you too much time, you go forget. Sunday. Seven days. $20. Know what I found out? We did this at our church in Conway. The less formal education people had, the more money they made. The more indoctrinated people were in the system, the harder it was for them. Hmm? Don't think about hustling a bad way. I'm trying to help you. Don't think about hustling a bad way. Part of God got to be a hustle. He takes something. He takes nothing and makes something out of it. That's a hustle. He started with nothing and he makes something out of it. See, y'all got all nervous. $20. I didn't ask you to pay your mortgage this month. I just asked you to take $20 and see what you could do with it. Stretch yourself. Stretch yourself. Why? Because I'm trying to get you to think a different way. And let me tell you why. Because I know for a fact that there are people in this room that you are called to be business owners. And there are people in this room, you have an entrepreneurial spirit, but you're stuck because you only know how to think and wait on a check. I'm not telling you you can't work for somebody else. I'm telling you you ought to have the kind of streams in your life that if your boss talk crazy to you, you could be like, well... You know what? This ain't really working for me. See you. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm trying to stretch you. I know this isn't our traditional preaching, but you got to shout. You got to do all of that stuff. Now I'm talking about what are you going to do when you leave here so that your life is different? And, why, and especially, listen, let me tell you something. Those of you who have kids, you should let your kids try any entrepreneurial endeavor that they think of. My kids have sold everything because you don't know that your kid isn't the next Sam Walton. You don't know that, but if you cut it out of, we ain't got the money to do that, but you, got, you, you blow $20 and $30 on stuff all the time. That rude Chris somebody said. All right. So let's look at Genesis 1, 26. We'll just go do a couple of scriptures today, all right, because I really want you to think about it. Is everybody okay, or do you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying that you have to create streams. You have to begin to see your God kind of identity, that you're never left with nothing. And that you were never designed for your whole life to determine whether somebody else determines whether you can go on vacation based on what they pay you. No, no, nobody else. You know who should determine what neighborhood you live in? The Lord. But even if the Lord took you guys today and showed you where he wants you to live, you talk yourself out of it because your only source is your ink. You wouldn't even say, God, how do we get here? I, can't, you see, I want you to take that, thank you, I want you to take that out of your vocabulary. You don't ever say, I can't, listen, when God gives the strict one something and he give us big stuff, we just say, and how would you like us to do that? Because there's, listen, there's a spiritual part and there's a psychological part. If you say we can't afford it, your brain will not look for solutions. If you say, how can we afford it, your brain will go to work. I'm going to give you an example you can understand. Have you ever saw a car that you really like? Or you bought a new car, and then once you bought it, you saw the car everywhere? Because your brain is now trained to recognize what it didn't notice before. 
So if you always say what you can't afford, what you can't do, where you can't get a job, that you can't go back to school, what you can't accomplish, your brain don't even look for solutions because you have told your brain it is impossible. So you have to say, how do we get here? Use your kids. Kids are amazing. Use somebody else's kids. If you want to know how to do something, ask your kids because kids have unfiltered creativity and don't shut them down even when their stuff is crazy because there are lots of things that look crazy to you now. There, if someone had, t I'm, I'm 43, when I was seven, if someone had told me that everybody would have a phone they carried in their pocket, I would not have believed it. I didn't have a reference point for it. What do you mean a phone everybody carrying, like we just go walk around with the cord? Like, we just, like, we, what, what? Like, what kind of phone is that? Because all we knew was pay phones and house phones, right? So don't shoot down an idea just because you haven't seen it done because everything that you have right now is created by somebody. Amen? It says, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. I love this right here, my favorite thing right here. You have dominion over all the creeps. You should not let your boss wear you out. <laughs> you should not let your coworkers wear you out. You should not let the mean people that wear Walmart and traffic wear you out. You have been given dominion. Say, I have, I have. Dominion, dominion over all the creeps. That's my favorite. Yeah, I have dominion over all the creeps. It says, so then God created man in his own image. And in the image of God created he, him, male and female created him then. I love God. He's so smart. He knew he had to say that he gave man and female the same creative ability. Because he knew that it is the nature of humanity to look who they can, to, for some party to look who they can suppress. That's all racism about. It's about suppressing somebody. All sexism about is about suppressing somebody. So God says, I want you to understand, daughters, you have the same creativity I've given my sons. You have the same ability. And you don't have to have this mentality that says that it's just about your husband, how much you can increase. Because the virtuous woman, her husband was sitting in the city gates when she was making all them deals. And, yeah, let me go ahead and say this. So, like, because what women do sometimes if you're married, you say, when it comes to an investment and transforming your life, you say you need to ask your husband, but you didn't ask him when you went about that purse. You didn't ask him about that purse. So you're using your husband as an excuse. And people who aren't married, when you say things like, I'm not going to buy a house till I get a husband, where's the scripture that says you and your husband buy a bigger house? You made that up. I'm, t I'm kicking over all sacred cows and all wrong, stupid thinking. And some of that stuff is just dumb. So, and because if you marry a man who's intimidated that you have a house, he the wrong man. He go always be intimidated anytime you increase more than he does. Most of the men I know, they like, go, baby, go, baby, be successful, go win, go do whatever's in your heart. You don't want nobody who's jealous because you succeed. You got to play down and dumb me down for it. You got to spell words wrong when you text him so he don't feel bad. <laughs> go to verse 28. So you can let him tell you that the I before the E except after C. Girl, boo. (laughs) 
Come back. Come back. That's not even the main point. It's not even the main point. It says, and God blessed them. What does it mean to be blessed? Empowered to prosper. So God empowered men and women to prosper. Say, I am empowered to prosper. And then with the empowerment, here's what he told you to do. He told you to do some stuff. What did he tell you to do? What's the first thing he told you to do? Be fruitful. That don't just mean have babies. There is other fruit beside babies. I'm not hating on baby fruit. I clearly like baby fruit, okay? It is not the only fruit. It is not the only fruit. Be fruitful. What does it mean to be fruitful? Come on, talk to me. What does it mean to be fruitful? It means to use your mind. It means to be creative. He, so he has given you the ability to solve the problem in front of you. He said, I empowered you to be fruitful. Now I'm going to challenge you. If you don't read, and you don't watch nothing on Facebook but them videos of fights and vines of dumb stuff and things like, who is me to judge? If you don't do stuff like that, if, you, if that's what you do with your life, who are me to judge? If you do stuff like that with your life, you haven't seen it, huh? We're going to let you see it. it, it I love the Jen Jen, like I don't watch no dumb stuff like that. But I'm telling you, if you don't read and you don't learn, you're not gonna be successful. You hear me? Because I don't want you to miss this. If you don't read and you don't learn, you're not gonna be successful. Your whole life cannot be reality TV. Your whole life can't even be law and order. Do you, are you intending to be a criminal investigator? <laughs> you don't watch six episodes today, but that has nothing to do with your dream. Listen, I'm telling you, the Bible says it's high time for us to wake out of slumber before the day is closer than it first was. What you don't realize is that the enemy uses TV and all of that stuff to dummy you down. And especially, listen, hear me, if you hate your job, you really got to work on it. Because what you want to do is you want to escape instead of recreate. And so what you do is you want to come home and you just want to veg out, but you'll never change your situation vegged out. You got to come home and activate yourself to say, you know what, I ain't going to be here next year and this is what I'm going to do. I'm about to learn some stuff. I'm about to try some stuff. And, and listen, you got to understand the system of, like, whatever you focus on, you become. I tell my kids this all the time. I can watch my kids. I can tell when my kids watch. So... When Jordan was learning how to talk, the Lord said to us, do not let her watch SpongeBob. It will make her stupid. You, I can tell when my kids watch a bunch of dumb stuff because everything they say to me is dumb. And I can tell that you don't read by what your mind is triggered by and what you are enlightened by. How are you going to be great if you don't give God anything to work with? I want to be an entrepreneur. Have you read one book? Let me help you. The great stories about what somebody else did, 
if you read those stories, they don't give you steps. They say they worked hard. They say they got up again. They don't say do X. You got to care about more than just the story that tickles your fancy and goes, oh, if they can do it, I can do it. Nope, because you watching TV and they were working. So I'm trying to get you to understand something. So he says, be fruitful. Then after he said, does he stop with being fruitful? Then what does he say? So you ought to multiply the creativity. You ought to multiply your creativity. Two ways. One, God gives you an idea, you multiply that idea, and the more you think, the more you are. Here's the reality. The more you do anything, the more access you come, you, you get around it. You understand what I'm saying? Excuse me. Even if you don't like football, if you start watching football, if you watch every football game that come on TV, if you do that for three months, by the time football season is over, you know stuff about football that you didn't know before. So if all you're doing in your day is the job that you really don't want to be at long term and then coming out and vegging out on TV, then what are you becoming? That's tight, but it's right. And so you got to think about your thinking. And I'm not saying you got to overload. Listen, everybody who knows me knows I'm an information junkie. So I don't expect anybody to consume information like I do. But you ought to be to read one book, one article. Articles written on a fifth grade level. You all above fifth grade level. You, this sounds so elementary. Somebody's like, is this church? Yes, this is church. Because in the Jewish synagogue, they talked about more than just God. They talked about how to be successful. When you read something, when you read a word and you don't know it, you have a smartphone. You don't even have to be able to smell it, to spell it. You can just push the button and say, what, how, what is X? I'm trying to get, listen, there is a distinction between, success leaves clues. And people who are successful do things differently than people who are not. And if you want to break out of average living, so that when they're talking about how the middle class is shrinking, you like, that's not my problem. My problem is to get to the wealth class so I can help create the middle class. But it ought not be in your mind, even in a little bit, that the middle class is shrinking, that you're not going to be in it, that you're going backwards. He never said, we're not going backwards. And then it says to replenish. What does it mean to replenish? Some of my Walmart or vendor people, what does it mean to replenish? To refresh, to replace, right? So it's like, okay, one string goes out. If, if, for example, if Walmart has a vendor that supplies a certain product and it's a big seller and then that company goes out of business, Walmart doesn't just get rid of the product. Most of the time what Walmart does, they create their own version of the product to make sure that it's there. You have the ability to replenish. And then subdue it. To subdue it, it means if you're going to walk in wealth, you have to subdue poverty. If you're going to walk in abundance, you have to subdue lack. If you're going to walk in intelligence, you have to subdue being the truth. (laughs) The truth of it is that nobody in this room is dumb, but what some of you are in this room is very inactive in your thinking. You're not dumb, but you inactive. And I can prove it to you. You uh, I, I can prove it to you. If we go outside of the church, there are some of you that as long as we laugh and joke, you will engage. But if somebody asks you one question serious, 
you fade to black, and before you know it, you in your car and gone home and posting on Facebook, we didn't even know you left. You cannot be a person who shrinks back from uncomfortable conversations. Let me tell you something. One thing I love about Chris, when Chris was living with us, when she was a young, young woman, man, if we would be talking, if she didn't know something, she'd be like, I don't understand what that means. She was not going to just sit there and let information go over her head that she didn't understand. She would be like, nope, don't know what that means, no reference point. Some of you, you need to put your pride down and admit that you don't know and go learn. No reference point. You don't have to know it. Being smart don't mean you know everything. Part of being smart is, is admitting that you don't know. You got to know how to get information. Real strength is knowing how to get information. So we have been given the ability to be fruitful, to, be, to multiply, to replenish, and to subdue. And that gives us dominion. So if I want to have dominion over my finances, I got to do these things. I have to do these things. So let's go to Genesis eleven thirty one, and then we, we may get a couple more scriptures. We go do this, and then we may stop. So anyway, I really like um, Sertric. And so let me tell you about this little interesting dynamic that Sertric and I have going on. Anytime I tell Sertric I have a dream about something, no matter what I tell him I want to do, he all, this is the only thing he says. He says, what else? And... In the beginning, I would always go, that's it. he go, what else? And so what I realized is that what Sertrick was really trying, he had a meeting with Pastor Elwin and I because he's helping us, like, figure out where the church wants to be 20 years from now, right? And he says, if you only talk to me about what else immediately, we can't build a plan for what else 20 years from now. And so he keeps asking what else because what happens is, let me give you a great example you can understand, Right? We want out of this hotel, right? But if we don't have a plan that's longer than relieving the immediate discomfort of being in here, our next move may not be our best move. So you need somebody to say to you, what else? I know you want something else. I know you want out of the hotel, but where do you see yourself? What will the church look like? What will it do? What do you need? And so then what happens is, is that so now we kind of got this running thing where we just kind of walk past Sertrick or we send him a text message and we say, mm, the church should have a convention center so we can meet for free. He goes, what else? And so the other day, I say to him, I text him, and I say, hey, I really appreciate that you keep asking me what else. He says something profound. He says, we need each other. You dream. He says, you, you dream too small. I pray too small. If some of you in here, you can pray good. Your dream's too small. Some of you in here, you, you got some big dreams. Your prayer's too small. That's why God puts people together. What gets me is that I spend my life teaching people how to live their dreams, but I still need somebody who keeps saying to me, what else? <laughs> what else? Dream bigger. Go further. So I want you to think about this thing as I set you up with this story. Deuteronomy, I mean, Genesis 11 and 31 Genesis 11 and 31, it says, And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his son's sons, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son's Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of Chaldees to go into the land of where? What's Canaan? The promised land. It's not a trick. What's Canaan? It's the promised land, right? 
And he says, and they came unto Haran and they dwelt there. So they left to go where? To Canaan. But where did they settle? My question is, where have you settled? Selah, not where your neighbor settled. Where have you settled? Because when you came up here, you had big dreams of X. Where have you settled? When you came up here, you only intended to take the job temporarily. Where have you settled? So then if you go to Genesis 12, 12 and 1, in this place that he has settled, it says, now the Lord said to Abraham, get out of thy country. So basically they settled so long that it became their land. This place that they were passing through, it became their land. He said, now the Lord said to Abraham, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show you. This next season, obedience is crucial because you don't know the way. Even if you know what else, you don't know how to get there. Know how you know you don't know how to get there? You ain't been there. You're not there yet. You haven't been there. So he says, I'm going to show you a place. Look at verse 2 and then verse 3, and then we'll stop here. And I'm going to give you just some things to think about. It says, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. It is a kingdom desire to have a great name. God said that. It is a kingdom desire to have a great name. You ought to want to be the man. You ought to want to be the best. Because at the end of the day, when you establish yourself as the best at something, there are people who engage with you differently. It's a twofold reason. Number one, when my name is great, I get the opportunity to minister to people who wouldn't listen to me if they didn't know my name. You may not see it publicly, but Bishop Jake preached to a lot of famous people. To a lot of famous people that you may not ever see in his service because his name is Bishop Jakes. And if he got a word for one of them and he called them, they're going to take his call just out of courtesy. They're not going to take my call. Yet. Yet. But today, they're not going to take my call. But yet, I like that. Yet. Do you understand what I'm saying? You have a blood-bought right and expectation to make your name great. And let me help you. If you're not trying to make your name great at your current job, you won't be great at your next one. If you, got, if you don't have good work ethic where you are, because God doesn't promote you when you lack integrity where you are, when you lazy where you are. And I'm going to give you some tips on what some of that stuff looks like because I want you to understand that God is setting you up for promotion. When you're the person who always late, you lack integrity and your name can't be made great. When you're the person that in a meeting never has the solution, you feel with the Holy Ghost how you don't have the solution. It, 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 I'm telling you, because the Bible says about Joseph, it says that Potiphar's house was blessed because Joseph was there. People wouldn't be so stressed out about losing their job if you knew they was blessed because you was there. But if you don't add any value, and it's easy to get into the environment and just we just trying to make it and we go stay under the radar, but you're not called to stay under the radar. You're called to be the head and not the tail. You don't get to just be the head because you're cute. 
Even if they give you a job because you're cute, they expect you to have some brains and have some solutions, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? He says, so I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee, and in thee all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he says, I will empower you and make your name great. Why? When you do what you learned in Genesis 1. Lord, teach me how to be fruitful. Teach me how to be fruitful. Teach me how to multiply my fruitfulness. Teach me how to replenish. When I see something that's broken and something that's missing, you know God fixes stuff that's broken and missing, right? There are, some of you in this room, you don't even have to raise your hand. There are things at your job that know they, they need to be done better, and you don't even try to find a solution. You be like, not my show, not my monkeys. Well, how would you get promotion if you don't become a problem solver? And the church said, amen. Can you take one more scripture? Deuteronomy 8, um, Deuteronomy 8 and 18. Deuteronomy 8 and 18. Why am I saying this, guys? Because we are not called to struggle. But if you don't participate in your rescue, struggle will be your life. It says, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that gives you what? To do what? Does it say that he gives you wealth? What does it say he gives you? Does he give you wealth? What does he give you? To get the wealth. What's the power? Be fruitful. Multiply. Replenish. Subdue. Exercise dominion. You're sitting on creative ideas that would change your life. Go as far as you can go. So what if you fail? There's a story in jo in, uh, about um, Isaac when Isaac goes to dig these wells. And when he goes to dig the well, the first well that he digs, they take it from him. The second well that he digs, they take it from him. But the third well produces. And he says, the Lord has made room for me. So what did the first thing you tried fail? So far, what did the second? Are you still here? Go again. Go again. So, I want to leave you with these tips. Part of your obedience is that you have to begin to talk to the Lord about where you are and where he wants you to be. I said this to you last week. So, he says, I've given you the power to get wealth. I've given you the power to get wealth. One of the questions I told you last week to ask the Lord was, what did wealth mean for you? What does wealth mean to you? Because you realize wealth doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. I'll take Oprah money. Bill Gates wouldn't trade his money for Oprah money because all wealth isn't equal, right? So when God created you, what's the wealth number he attached to you? Selah. Because people live in generality so they don't have to think. I just want to be wealthy. Well, what does that mean? What does it look like? Would you know it if the opportunity showed up? Not if you don't think, not if you don't stretch, not if you don't pray and ask God questions. God, what does it mean to me? Why? Because there are some places that God wants to see. Here's the reality. God ain't trying to send us all the same place. He's trying to send us different places because he got people who need help. So wealth is a vehicle to get into the places where God needs people to give help. So what's your number? 
do you have a number? If you don't have a number, you, you can't even start the journey. We talk a lot on Wednesday nights about how when we shoot our prayers, we want to be what? We want to be snipers. We are not shooting what? Buckshots. And, and Lance said blanks. Neither one. We don't want either one of those. <laughs> we don't want to not be fruitful. And you don't want to work your whole life. Listen. Listen, let me, let me help y'all because I really just... I, want, I, wanna, I, w- I really want to shift you and more than give you steps, I want to ignite you to have some different conversations with God. So on Cyber Monday, I had a coaching special. I did a coaching special because part of who I am as an entrepreneur, I just try stuff. I'd be like, let me see if this works, right? So I was like, hmm, coaching special. What could I do? Won't cost me a lot of time. A lot of people need exposure to coaching. Something low price, blah, blah, blah. Hmm, $99. Cool. Two 30-minute sessions. That's a little under my price, but it's worth it. No big deal. Give people exposure. I had people sign up. Lots of people sign up. But I had over 15 women tell me they did not have $99. Everyone, I'm a Christian. Everyone, I'm going to church every week. Everyone, I'm love God. Everyone, I'm, when I look on their page, they got scriptures. This is wrong. You 50, you go to work every day, and you don't have $99 you can put your hands on? You, we're not called to that. But if you don't allow God to stretch you, You'll be content with the fact that you just got $60 to make it to the next check. Or for some of you, your number is bigger. Or for some of you, your number is even bigger. But my question is, that number, that money that you have in that account, that money that you have in the retirement, is it enough to do everything God told you to do? That's why you have to piecemeal it out like you do. And so I'm trying to get us to shift because there are things that God wants us to do. And I'm telling you, we're we not the kind of people. We don't want to have no, we, no, no, we don't want to. We're not going to have a weenie roast to send our kids to camp. Not one, ever. Ever. And when we take them somewhere, they can get a turkey leg. But you cannot do that if the pew has to shift too. The pew has to shift too. You're not called to live paycheck to paycheck. And I don't want to help you because I always expose this. Because some of you are like, well, I don't live paycheck to paycheck. So ask yourself, how long could you live? If nothing came in, how many days you got it? If nothing came in before you got to change your lifestyle, that's how many days rich you are. However many days you can go, that's how many days rich you are. And some of it is, is that we have to say, okay, God, we may look good and we may be doing better than our parents or better than our grandparents, but if this isn't where you've called us to be, we don't want to settle here. We don't want to settle here. We got all these big dreams for a church. Angel said the other day, she said she want she wanted all the preteens and teens to go to this camp in Oklahoma City. We should be able to do that. We should be able to do that without you having to give up something else to be able to do. In December, God is giving you ideas and strategies that's going to set you up in July. But not if you don't do it. 
And some of you are in places right now. There are books you need to read. There are seminars you need to take. But you're more concerned about Christmas presents that if you're honest, your kids ain't going to even know where they are two days after Christmas. They're not going to know. But you spending all of, you spend you 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 got all this stuff in you trying to figure out how you go maneuver this and how you go get your mama this and how you go get big mama this. You know the best thing you could do for everybody this year? You can say, you know what, we're gonna get ourselves in a better situation so that we never have to make these choices again. We go get ourselves in a better situation. And that's how you get free. And then ask the Lord what to do with the money. What you go invest in? What you go buy? What you gonna try? You got to be willing to take a risk if you're going to produce something different. And so I wanted to share that with you because I don't believe, I don't believe you call, I know for a fact that you're not called to be broke. And I'm not trying to tell you everybody in this room should be a millionaire. I am telling you that everybody in this room should be able to fulfill the assignment of God on their life. And a, fulfilling the assignment of God on your life, it means a place to live. It means being able to do activities with your family. Your kids shouldn't have to choose. If God has called your kid to be a dancer, you shouldn't be out there making your kids throw rocks because you can't afford for them to take dance. It's people right now who aren't living in their gifting because their parents couldn't afford the lesson. You don't want to be that. And you know what else you want to be? You want to be in a position that you could pay for the lessons for somebody else if you needed to. If the Lord said, that kid right there, they talented, and I want to use them with piano lessons, you could be like, you know what, I got that. I can afford that. But you'll never get that if you don't change your thinking. Guys, listen, as long as wealth for you is just about what you can have, you don't have a kingdom wealth mentality. That's a world wealth mentality. A world wealth mentality is I want to accumulate how much I can accumulate. A kingdom wealth mentality says I want to live at the level that God has called me to live at and do everything he's called me to do. Amen? Now, for some of you, some of the journey is this, is that you're going to have to make some major shifts in your life. Because for some of you, in truth, you haven't got your giving relationship right with the Lord. And so it's going to seem like some of you going backwards for a while because God is going to downsize some of the stuff that you're doing because you shouldn't have been doing that stuff to begin with. You should have been in an order with what he was telling you to do. But if you align with God, he'll always prosper you. There's some things, first things first, get first things right. If you honor God, he'll honor your house. So I'm just going to give you some tips of some things that I do. So we make this confession about jobs and better jobs and business and big business, right? So I'm believing God for my business to increase in 2016. I have tried to be a blessing to every small business owner I know. That's the principle. Seed time, harvest. You want your business to grow. What business owner are you blessing? Why would God open a door for you that you won't open for somebody else? Very soon, we're going to take an offering because we want to be a blessing to somebody who's building a church. Why? Because what God makes happen, because we need a church. And so we're going to take an offering and be like, we want to present this with you because we want to partake on what's on your life. See, the thing is, this is so good. I'm going to end with this. I really am. This is my last ending. The problem with the grace teaching is that grace makes you think you have this false teaching of grace makes you think you have a right to partake where you haven't sown. Seed time and harvest is a kingdom principle. Very simple, seed time harvest. You believe in God to get married? Sow into the life of somebody who happily married. You believe in for longevity? This is how you ought to see it. 
you, you guys both got people in your family who've been married for a long time. When you give them a present, you're seeding into your future. Y'all be like, you know what? We want our grandparents to go on a date night because what we set up for them is going to come back into our life. But the truth of it is that some of you have such a me mentality that you don't think about giving outside of yourself. So when I'm trying to increase my business, I give more to other businesses. I want to be the blessing to somebody else. When I'm increasing my marriage, I sow into other couples. Ooh, let's send them to dinner. Let's do this. Let's be a blessing to them. Why? Because what I make happen for somebody else, God will always make happen for me. Now, what people say sometimes is they go, oh, well, can I sow my time if time is what you're trying to harvest? And that's the manipulation. If you want apple seeds, do you sow oranges? What do you sow? So when there's something on somebody's life that I want, I sow for it. And then I do the work that I see them do. So if somebody's happily married, that, that's why I love to talk to older married couples. How did you be, how are you married so long? How did you do this? She's like, be sweet to your husband. All right, I'm be sweet to my husband, right? Why? Because you're sowing into your future. So I'm going to end with that today. I know it's not our traditional seven points, 27 scriptures, but I'm telling you, if you want your financial lessons to be if you want your financial life in 2016 to be different, you got to become different. You got to become different. I become different.